Amen. Well, aren't you grateful this morning? The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so those are musical instruments, but also you and me. So praise the Lord for worship music today, but also Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. The Bible says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Uh, let me ask you this morning, do you have any friends in your life who are speaking truth into your life? I pray this morning as we gather around God's word here over the next number of minutes, faithful are the wounds of a friend that because we gather this morning in worship, our lives are going to be changed because we're in this room or we're watching online one or the other. There was a lady one time met with her funeral director and she was going to pre-plan her funeral. So she goes into the funeral home and she meets with the funeral director and she goes over every aspect of it. She picked out a casket, she picked out a vault, and then she picked out flowers. And then she talks to the funeral director about, here's the preacher whom I want to preach my funeral. And then she even gives him a list of songs that she wants to be sung at her funeral. And then she gives him a list of people she wants to carry her casket when that time comes. And it was all women, six women. And the funeral director looked at the list and said, ma'am, have you made a mistake? You've got all women on here. Are you sure this is what you want? And she said, well, I've come to the realization in life this way. If men wouldn't take me out when I was alive, men are not going to take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> and she said, I want all women to do that. I sense a little bitterness in her statement, just a little bit. But as we think about this message, let, let me ask you in your life today, if you've lived long enough, you've had people in your life, and you can name them right now by name and even see their faces, who've hurt you, who've wounded you, and who've injured you. And then I wonder today, when we think about the pain and the injury and the wounds in life, what do you do with them in your life when that happens to you? I mean, it can happen to kids and students and adults, all of us. What do you do with that? I wonder how many of us today in the room watching, you're carrying around a lot of baggage in life because someone injured you. I wonder how many of us today, we're building walls in relationships because somebody wounded us. And then I wonder how many of us today are in bondage because someone hurt us and we're dealing with pain and injury and wounds as a result of that. I wonder how many of us today need to just say to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, you died on the cross and you shed your blood for our forgiveness. You promised us abundant life, and Lord Jesus, today, I need the abundant life that you promised, but Lord Jesus, I need to be set free today. And so without even bowing your heads, I just want to encourage you today in the room and those who are watching that would you pray two simple prayers like this. One, Lord, I need to hear from you this morning. And the second prayer would be, Lord, I want to leave this worship gathering a different person than the person who walked in. I want you to change my life. You asked for it. It's about forgiveness. Many years ago, Angie and I were celebrating a wedding anniversary, and we made our way down to South Florida. And one night in a hotel, I was looking through a local magazine and just seeing what was offered there around the Sanibel Island area. And so I saw this article on a place that was called Crows, C-R-O-W. It stood for the Clinic of the Rehabilitation of Wildlife. 
And, and I read about that place, that, that operation. It was so inspiring. And so I told Angie, I said, it would be wonderful if we just stopped by there and kind of see their operation, what's going on. So the next day, sure as anything, we found the place. We go into the center of the rehabilitation of wildlife. We meet one of their employees. She was extremely passionate about their work, what they were doing. And I just said, I, I read about your place last night in a magazine. I'd love to hear what you guys do. And then she was enthusiastically willing to share with us what they did. And she talked about they treated about 4,000 injured animals every year. Interesting, she didn't call them animals. She called them patients. And so it took me a little getting used to. And so she talked about their patients, that they would see a patient that was wounded. They would bring it into their center, and they'd rehabilitate that animal and ultimately get to release it back out in their natural habitat again. And so I said, that's amazing. I appreciate your passion to do that. And then I said this, is it possible that we could see some of these animals or patients? And then I wasn't ready for what she was getting ready to say next. She said, well, we have a privacy act. You may have never heard of it, but it's called HIPAA, and you're not able to see our patients. <laughs> and I told her, I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor. And I said, I'm very tempted to say, can I make a pastoral visit to one of your pelicans <laughs> because I'd like to see one of them. I understand HIPAA very, very well. But we didn't get to see any injured patients that particular day. But we left that center and we're driving away. And here's how the Lord works because I thought, here's a lady that is extremely passionate in her life, passionate about helping injured animals' patients. And then I think about us as believers in Christ. Does the enemy tempt us to focus on the healthy and ignore the injured? And as you think about the life of the Lord Jesus, did he come for the healthy or did he come for the sick? And as I think about injury this morning, I think how many of us in this room, how many people are watching, how many of us honestly, let's just take the mask off and let's pull back the curtain and be honest to say how many of us in this room are injured this morning and we need help? How many of us this morning are struggling in a relationship Somebody has wounded us, injured us, hurt us. And we're carrying unforgiveness in that relationship. How many of us, even in relationship with a Heavenly Father, we look at Him and say, God, I don't know why you allowed that to happen to me or to us in life. And somewhere you're still dealing with a spirit of unforgiveness, even in relationship to God. And then how many of us in this room and watching? It's not really to another person. It's not even to God. But we look at our own lives and we think, how could I ever forgive myself? And then you fill in the blank. We're injured. I've pastored churches that struggled with forgiveness. One church I pastored, they had split a couple times. They had families, members that would not speak to one another. And I asked one time the chairman of deacons about the church moving forward. And I said, if you guys repented of your sin and if you practiced forgiveness with one another in the context of the church, because I wanted to lead them to be faithful to God's word and move forward. And he looked at me across the lunch table. And he said, no repentance, no forgiveness, but a lot of finger pointing. What about you? What about your life? I pulled up a car behind a car one day and saw a bumper sticker. And the bumper sticker said this, God loves you. 
And then notice what it said next. God loves you, but he loves me more. <laughs> I said, theologically, that's not really good much at all. So you don't want to learn from that theological statement. God loves you, but he loves me more. And here's the danger of that statement in our culture, even in our churches. If you and I are not careful, we will practice a self-centered Christianity. Oh, I, there's no doubt God loves you, but he loves me more. And here's what happens in relationships. When we get into a place like that of forgiveness, self-centered Christianity says, I'm seeking to get revenge, not forgiveness. But you and I, according to God's word, need to live God-centered, Christ-centered. And so when we live God-centered, Christ-centered, what do we say? I'm not about revenge. I'm about forgiveness. Because he's forgiven me, then I need to forgive other people. So when you look at the Christian life and you think about your walk with the Lord, are you living self-centered or God-centered in your life? Because if we're going to practice forgiveness the way the Word of God is going to teach us, then we need to live God-centered, Christ-centered, under the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then as we even think about that, sometimes a question will come up when it comes to forgiveness, whether it's to other people or even to ourselves. Well, how often should I forgive someone? Uh, the Bible addresses that. We're not the only ones who are asking that question. Peter asked it one time. When you look at the book of Amos, the book of Amos teaches forgive the person maybe three times. And then Peter comes on the scene, and he asks that question. And what did Peter say? He said, I'm going to double it and throw another one in for good measure. He said seven times. But what did the Lord Jesus say? The Lord Jesus said, it's not three, it's not seven, it's continually. How many times does the Lord forgive you and forgive me? Folks, we couldn't even count it up. Because of him shedding his blood, he has forgiven our sins, past, present, and future. Thank God for amazing grace in life. We have forgiveness in Christ. Now I want you to look at your outline here. I'm going to give you three statements here. I want you to focus on just for a moment. Three statements here. Uh, one, forgiveness says that you and I refuse to pursue revenge. Folks, I just want to encourage you in your life, don't pursue revenge with people. Amen. It's not your place to get even. Trust God in the midst of that. You be faithful to him. Revenge is his, as he says in the scripture in Romans. You seek him. Look at the second statement there. We open the door for reconciliation. When we forgive someone, it opens the door for reconciliation. Maybe that relationship can be restored and reconciled. And then the third sentence there is we commit to burying the past. There are some people in this room today, some people who are watching. I really believe in your life. Today should be a funeral for you in your life. You need to bury some of the hurts and the injuries and the wounds that you've been carrying around in your life. Today would be a great day to have a funeral and say, I'm going to bury that. I'm walking out of this place. I'm logging off what is online, a different person because of what just happened in my life. And that's the work of God in your life. Because when you look at these three statements, forgiveness says you and I refuse to pursue revenge. We trust God in the midst of that. We're not trying to do that. It also says we open the door for reconciliation. You need to know forgiveness and reconciliation aren't always the same thing. Forgiveness requires one person. Reconciliation requires two people at least. And then you see this last part. We commit to burying the past. We bury it. What is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter that we just talked about, says love keeps no record of wrongs. We bury the past. We don't bring it up. 
It's like a husband and wife went in to see a counselor one time, and a counselor was asking him some questions, and, and the guy said, when we disagree, my wife gets historical. And the counselor said, no, I think you meant she gets hysterical. And he said, no, she gets historical because she brings up every mistake I've ever made in my life when we disagree. <laughs> Somewhere you've got to bury the past and you, love keeps no record of wrong. So if you love someone, just as the Lord forgives our sin, as far as the east is from the west, you need to erase the record of wrongs. But how many of us carry around this list where we keep records of wrongs? We look somebody in the eyes and say, I'll never forget what you did to me on March 20th. I'll never forget what you did to me on January the 26th. I'll never forget what you did to me or said to me on Christmas Eve, December the 24th. And somewhere we carry around those records, but somewhere, by the grace of God and what the Bible is going to teach, we need to bury the past and say, it's a new day in my life, a new day in our relationship. I'm going to live free because that's the promise Jesus made to me in life. You bury that. I want you to walk through these things with me this morning as we think about God's word here. Uh, look at number one, how does God want us to relate with people? As you look at God's word in this context here in, in Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus, understand this in life, we're to build people up, not tear them down. And so I hope you've got people in your life, again, faithful of the wounds of a friend. I hope you've got people who are speaking truth into your life, but I hope you've got people in your life who are seeking to build you up and not tear you down. Then Paul comes to this. He didn't not grieve the Holy Spirit, so forth. But then he says this, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. I just encourage you sometime, either a hard copy or get on an electronic device, pull up the dictionary and read what those words mean. They are dangerous and they are destructive. There are outcries, there's injury to people. And he says all these issues, again, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, even with malice, you put those things away from you because you've been forgiven in Christ. They don't fit who you are in Christ if you respond that way. And so here's how he says, though, that we should respond. Look at these three words. He goes on to say, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here are the three words. First word, kindness. Folks, when you think about people in your life, your family, your workplace, even in the context of the church, when you find yourself wounded, injured, hurt in life, you're dealing with pain, it's messy at times, I hope you'll relate to people, again, what Paul says, you put these away, but you relate with people with kindness. Folks, we need more kindness in our world, not less. And when you think about forgiving somebody else, it doesn't mean you approve what they did. You don't excuse it away, but you're just seeking to have the heart and the attitude of Christ, and you forgive that person, and you show that person kindness in your life because Jesus has been so kind to you and me. And we need to be kind to others. Second word, tenderness. He says in this passage, literally from straight from God's word, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Just show tenderness. What that means is you show compassion to another people, to another person. Aren't you grateful Jesus showed compassion to you and me? And because he showed compassion and kindness and tenderness to you and me, let's be willing to do that to other people. Then the third word is the word forgiveness. Somewhere we need to forgive other people. What does it mean? Again, it doesn't mean we approve of that. It doesn't mean we excuse it away. But the word forgiveness means in God's word that we release people. I'm going to release you. 
I'm trusting God, but I'm releasing you. I'm not going to hold this over your head. I'm not going to constantly bring this up. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I'm going to forgive you because I've been forgiven in Christ. So how do we relate with other people? And you can name them. You can see their faces. I challenge you this morning. As you think about family members, friends, relationships, co-workers, classmates, even church members, that you would put away bitterness and anger and malice and all those other things, and because of the grace of God in your life, and because you do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit, you would come before God and say, God, I want to relate with this person or these people. Wow, kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness. Angie and I, just two weeks ago, were at the Southern Baptist Convention. One day in a lunch meeting, there was a young lady whom we, we got to know just by video and so forth last December, right before Christmas. Her dad was a police officer, and he was killed in the line of duty. Her name is Shelby Houston, college student, young girl. And she spoke the other day at this lunch meeting we were at in the Southern Baptist Convention. And again, we were just overwhelmed. And there was tears all throughout that lunch meeting. Because here's a young college girl who has been, been discipled well. Her dad killed in the line of duty back in December. But she doesn't have any bitterness, malice, anger, nothing like that to the gentleman who killed her dad. And she's seeing how God's going to use her. So I want you to watch this video of her testimony of what she desires to see happen in the life of this man who took the life of her dad. Watch this video. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me, but as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion, and part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father but I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live, but when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him. Not to yell at him. Not to scold him. Simply to tell him about Jesus. Extremely impressive young lady. And the guy that took her dad's life, she's relating him with kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness. And she always said the other day, she can't even get over how many doors God has opened for her to be a witness for him. She's been into prison. She's met with prisoners face to face and shared with them the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ as well. How do we relate with other people? Not with bitterness, anger, malice. Kindness, tenderness, forgiveness.
Number two, how does God relate to us? I've given you three words here I want you to write down because how does God relate to us? One is gospel. He relates to us in the context of the gospel. I'll explain about that in just a moment. Number two is the word is grace. He relates to us with grace, God's unmerited favor. His grace is marvelous. His grace is wonderful. His grace is amazing. Number three is growth. He relates to us so that we will grow. We find ourselves at times in very difficult situations, painful situations, wounded situations. Why? Because God is using those experiences in our lives to grow us. That's Shelby's testimony. Painful, hurt, there's no doubt, but God's growing her in the midst of what she's going through and the loss of her dad. That's how God relates to us. So when you think about this, it's the gospel, it's grace, but it's also growth. And as I think about that, I look at my own life, and I look and I say, now, now, Lord, how do I know that I'm going to heaven when this life is over? And when I look at that, I think, God, why am I in Christian ministry to this day? On this Sunday morning, standing here as your pastor, God, why am I in Christian ministry? And then, God, why do I have this desire to grow in my relationship with you? I still want to grow deeper and deeper in relationship to Jesus in my life. Why are those things true in my life? And it comes back to the gospel, it comes back to grace, and it comes back to growth. Because when I think about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect, sinless life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed for the Father's will to be done and not his. He went to an old rugged cross with outstretched arms where he was beaten and humiliated. He shed his blood and died on that cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, but on Easter morning, a resurrection Sunday, the stone was rolled away. Jesus Christ is alive. He ascended back to the Heavenly Father. One day, Jesus is coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. And as I think about the gospel, when I look at it and I think, well, how do I know I'm going to heaven? Why am I in ministry? And why do I desire to grow in the likeness of Christ? It is because of the gospel and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, folks, I know I'm going to heaven because by his blood, my sins have been forgiven. I am in ministry. Why? Because he gave his life and has called me to give my life for him. And I want to grow in the likeness of Christ because that is his desire for my life and for your life. And all that happens, why? How God relates to you and me that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus Christ would be our Savior, our Lord, our best friend in life. That's how he relates to you and me. So how do we relate with people, but how do we relate with God? And then number three, how does God equip us to forgive people? How does he equip us to do that? So I want to give you some insight to that here in a moment. I'm going to talk a little bit too just about forgiving yourself. So you think about how does God equip us to forgive people? Here's what we know about God. Again, based on the word of God, we see this. Again, letter to the believers in Ephesus as well. Whatever God calls you and me to do, and you can fill in the blank, whatever that is. Whatever God calls you and me to do, please understand, he is faithful always to equip us to do what he's called us to do. So if God asks you to teach a Bible study class, you can't do it on your own anyway, but he will equip you to do that. If God calls you to be involved in the worship ministry, you can't do that on your own anyway. He will equip you to do that. If God calls you to be a pastor and to serve him as a missionary overseas, you can't do that on your own. God will equip you to do that. 
And then as God calls you and me to forgive people who have hurt us, wounded us, and injured us, you can't do that on your own. Almighty God will equip you to do that. Because God equips us to forgive people. Now, how does he do that? Let me give you these words. Number one, comprehend his love. As you and I think about how does he equip us to forgive people, well, one, just comprehend his love. How much does he love you and me? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, God's love is unending and unfailing. God loves you and me so much that he gave Jesus to die on a cross for you and me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, sinners, rebellious against him while we were yet sinners Christ Jesus died for us folks I hope in this room and those watching you will comprehend the magnificence of the love of God for you in your life while we were sinful while we were rebellious while we were outside of a relationship with God while we had walked away from almighty God he loves you and me and he never stops loving you and me if you'll comprehend the amazing love of God in your life it puts you in a position to forgive other people in your life number two receive his forgiveness you comprehend his love, but you receive his forgiveness. Let me just say, when I think about receive his forgiveness, folks, as I prepared for this message, as I thought about Vacation Bible School this week, talking to many boys and girls about Jesus and a relationship with him, it took me back to a young boy, 12 years of age, being in a revival service, my Sunday school teacher asking me about my relationship to Christ. The Holy Spirit convicted me about my lostness. I needed to be saved. I'd sinned against God. I'd disobeyed him. No question about that. And then sitting on our basement steps at home that day, as a young boy, all I knew to do is say, God, I know you love me. There's no doubt. And God, I've sinned against you and disobeyed you. And I want to be saved. I want my life to be changed. And here's the amazing thing. When I stepped up from those basement steps and went up to our kitchen where my mom was, and I shared with her that Jesus just saved me, that was possible because Jesus forgave me as a young boy. Twelve years of old age. He saved me. And I can't even begin to tell you how many times since that day I've come before the Lord and I've said to him, Lord, I've sinned against you. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have missed that opportunity. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And how many times, even as a servant of Christ, I've had to come before him and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. And the good news is he forgave me. I just want to say to you in this room, watching, you may be 12, you may be 22, you may be 52, but you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I plead with you today to experience his forgiveness in Christ. 
What does that mean? Understand how much he loves you. Confess your sin that you've been disobedient to him and then receive his amazing forgiveness and salvation in Christ. And then I encourage you as believers in this room watching. There are sins in your life. You need to practice 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You need to confess your sins and receive his forgiveness. Receive his forgiveness. Then number three, follow his example. What do I mean by that? Here's what the Bible says. Put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Put them away from you along with all malice. You don't want to injure another person. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's why. As God in Christ forgave you. You follow his example. Luke chapter 24. We see the resurrection of Christ. But before we ever get to the resurrection of Christ, we have to have what? The cross. You don't get to the resurrection without the cross, his death, his burial. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, and Jesus said, as he, again, just imagine this, crucified on a cross, nails piercing your hands and feet, a crown of thorns pressed over your head, and a spear is going to pierce your side, and people are jeering at you and making fun of you. And you're crucified before two criminals. And what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Forgive them. Forgiveness. Acts chapter 7. A servant of the Lord by the name of Stephen. They were stoning him one day, and as they were stoning Stephen, Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 59, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Paul, Jesus, Stephen, forgiveness. What about forgiving yourself? Let me, let me say this. When you think about forgiving yourself, if you still with, deal with guilt and you still blame yourself, that's an indication you still need to process forgiving yourself. Because in him we can be guilt-free. And in him we can stop blaming ourselves in Christ. So I just encourage you to pray just as you have received forgiveness Forgive other people. At times even forgive the Lord if, you, if you've got bitterness toward him. But somewhere I just encourage you by the authority of God's word, get rid of the guilt and the blame in your own life and practice forgiveness to you. It's only possible because of the cross of Christ and his shed blood. October the 2nd, 2006. Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. I'm not going to share the details because I want to be sensitive to people in the room and people who are watching, but there was a shooting that particular day. Amish one-room schoolhouse, 
Charlie Roberts was the one who did the shooting. Ultimately, he took his own life. Many kids lost their lives that day. How did the Amish community respond to Charlie Roberts, who committed one of the most heinous crimes you could ever imagine in your life? Did they have anger? Did they have bitterness? Did they have malice? No. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Books were written about it. Films were produced about it because it goes against what the culture says. They practiced forgiveness. Charlie's wife's name Marie. The Amish community embraced her in life. She even attended one of the funerals for one of the victims. And then when Charlie Roberts' funeral happened, here's what's amazing. It's estimated at least 30 people from the Amish community attended his funeral. Forgiveness. Look at these last two things. Receive forgiveness, reveal forgiveness. Folks, as you receive forgiveness in Christ, you need to reveal forgiveness to other people. And then number two, experience forgiveness and extend forgiveness. You can forgive other people. You can even forgive yourself. Look at Moses. Moses didn't always do things right, but God used him. David, a man after God's own heart, adultery and murder. He experienced God's forgiveness and God continued to use him. Jonah, Heard the voice of God, and he ran the other way. He experienced God's forgiveness, and God used him. Peter, Lord, I'll die with you if that's what's necessary. And he even denied, betrayed the Son of God and Savior of the world. But then we come to the book of Acts, and we see God used him in amazing, life-changing ways. Experience his forgiveness. Experience forgiveness of your own life. And let God use you in great, life-changing ways ways. Forgiveness. Let's bow together. This morning as we get prepared to respond to God's word in an invitation, your response could be very personal and private. And here's what I encourage you today. If it needs to be that way, you need to forgive another person. You need to have a conversation with God about your relationship with him. Or you need to even forgive yourself. I pray this morning you would take those steps. Lord, I want to hear from you, but Lord, I want to leave today changed. And then I want to encourage you in relationship to another person. If possible, maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to send an email. Maybe you need to write a letter. Maybe you need to have a face-to-face conversation. And to say, if I've received forgiveness, I need to reveal forgiveness. If I've experienced forgiveness, I need to extend forgiveness. A family member, a friend, a neighbor, co-worker, even someone in this church, you need to do that. Either give forgiveness or receive forgiveness. Just as you've been forgiven in Christ, you forgive others. 
And then I encourage you today, this altar is open. If you just need to come and pray for someone and say, I don't even know where to start, we'd love to help you do that. And maybe you just need to come and say, God, I need to receive your forgiveness in my own life today and forgive myself. I want to walk out today that this is a new day in my life and my walk with you. Receiving your forgiveness and forgiving myself. And then I want to appeal to you too, if you're in this room and you need to receive his forgiveness for the first time, for him to be your savior, for you to come to experience salvation today, come to Jesus. That's the gospel. You need to be baptized. You need to join the fellowship of our church. Follow his example and his leadership. You come today. Let this invitation be a day and a time that the Lord changes your life. Heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ, we pray, thanking you for forgiveness and praying, God, for relationships to be forgiven and restored and reconciled. And that can only happen in Christ. So whether it's our pastoral staff or our prayer team, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will have open arms to receive people as they come to you as we're your servants to be used of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus for grace and forgiveness and freedom. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.